Well, good morning, saints. Morning, sinners. And all of you at home, you're, we, you saints and sinners watching on live stream, we're glad you're here, too. Um, I, I didn't know this until I, Pam just said it, and about the flowers, and um, I, I am touched. Thank you very much, whoever did that. That was very, very kind. Um, Kelly smiles. The entirety of the 12th chapter of Luke uh, has Jesus speaking to crowds of, it says in in the beginning of chapter 12, to a crowd of thousands, many thousands actually. And the primary overall focus for chapter, uh, chapter 12 is God is coming soon and the people had best get prepared for it. Ironically, as Jesus was speaking this, they failed to understand that God was in their midst at that time. So my friends, as we hear the word of the Lord, let's see how God wants us to be prepared. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 32. Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert. When he comes, truly, I tell you, He will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Indeed, indeed. Well, last Sunday we heard Jesus teaching about how we are not to store up treasures on earth, but instead um, we are to show how we live our lives that are rich towards God. We're not to build bigger barns. We're to be more expressive and live richly towards God. Well, today Jesus is answering the question of how we can do that. How can we um, live rich towards God? And what happens to us in our text, he says, when we do that? When we live rich toward God... What happens to us? 
So let's look at this story. Um, Jesus does this by telling one story in two parables. Let's start with the story. In Zen Buddhism, there is a technique to train novice disciples. And it's when the master or teacher asks the student a question or address a paradoxical statement, which does not appear to make any sense whatsoever. It's called a koan. K-O-A-N, a koan. And the koan is used to force the disciple, the student, um, to look at an issue from a totally different perspective. By, by making a statement that the statement or question appears to be totally nonsensical. It's paradoxical. Its purpose is to challenge the disciples' assumptions on an issue, and when done correctly, the koan chips away the longer you work it and gives you enlightenment. Here are a few examples. Two hands clap, and there is a sound. What is the sound of one hand clapping? Hmm. Another one is a teacher is asking the student, without speaking and without silence, how can you express the truth? And the student replies, I, I express the truth because I always remember springtime in southern China. The birds sing among innumerable kinds of fragrant plants. Koans. Seemingly nonsensical statements. But if we sit with them, they have meaning. Jesus uses koans to a degree. He probably didn't call them a koan, but he uses paradoxical stories throughout the Gospels. And if you look at verses 32 and 34 of today's reading, we note that Jesus is speaking by using a koanish type statement. It doesn't seem to make sense on the face of it, and it pushes members of the crowd to wrestle with what they really think Jesus is talking about and means. So Jesus starts the story first with an imperative. No fear. He says, don't be afraid, little flock. But he then begins to tell the little flock to sell all that they have and give the proceeds to the destitute, the poor, all those that Isaiah was speaking about, the widow, the orphan the homeless. And paradoxically, when they sell their possessions and give to the poor, <laughs> they get new purses. Now why, if, if I don't have any money anymore, I've given it away for the poor, why am I getting a purse? A new one. There's nothing to put in it. I've been liquidated. The disciple may turn to Jesus and say, you know, listen, Jesus, you tell me not to be afraid. But we've sold all that we have. We've given our money to the poor. 
only to find that we're now financially poor ourselves. Hello? And what's this about a new purse, Jesus, that doesn't wear out? What's to put into it? I'd have nothing. These types of responses reflect a disciple's first-level thinking. First-level thinking. It's the lowest form of thinking and knowledge. And it's rampant in the Christian church. First-level thinking is when we take things at their face in literal value, period. It looks at the world from a binary point of view. It's also called binary thinking. In that a person sees an answer. It's either this way or that way. It's either right or it's wrong. It's black, it's white. It's either or. One or the other. And Jesus is using these odd stories throughout the Gospels and parables to push His disciples out of first-level binary thinking. He wants to move them out of this, that, either, or. These koan-like stories and parables require the student, that is, you and me, to dig deeper into the meaning of what we see at first glance and what's hidden. In other words, we have to do our own work. Thankfully, in our text today, Jesus provides them with, and us for that matter, a lifeline to reach out for, to understand. And he says that his lifeline is this. He says, disciples, crowds, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, is where your heart will be also. Wow. The meaning of this loaded story and instruction is this. Jesus is saying, there is no fear. Trust in me. Trust in God. Trust that God's going to do what God says God's going to do. Attend to the needs of those who are worse off than yourself and be God's hands and feet for all those in the world that are left out. Jesus goes on to say, you won't be filling a literal purse with money, but that purse of yours, well, it's called your heart. And it's going to be stuffed. The more you... Give yourself to the poor, the destitute, the widow, the orphan. The more your heart is going to be stuffed with the blessings of God and with joy and abandon. But it's all contingent of getting out of the way ourselves. Why? Well, Because God sees what's truly important in your life and in my life, in this church's life, when we are about loving others. And that makes God just smile. And then Jesus 
follows this koan, this, this story, with two parables. And, and they're kind of tied together. Um, the first one reinforces the koan Jesus had just shared with the disciples uh, and how God practices what he preaches. So God was just not preaching. He was actually doing what God said. And both parables deal with this notion of anticipation and readiness, preparedness. Note with me verse 35 to 39, or 38. Verses 35 to 38 paint a picture for the need of readiness to meet and live our lives as though we are about to meet God face to face right now. But there's a twist to it. The servants are waiting for their Lord of the state to come home from a wedding banquet. Wedding ceremonies back in those days, back in Jesus' time, could last upwards a week. Imagine being father of the bride, huh? Ooh, a week. My goodness, that's a lot of wine. So the servants, as they were waiting for the master to return, they had no idea when he would come. Would it be three days into the celebration? Maybe he's had enough. Maybe it's going to be the whole five days or something. They don't know, so they have to be prepared. They've got to be ready to receive the master of the estate at home at any minute. No asleep at the switch. And this parable, like others in Luke chapter 12, seems to allude to what we call popularly in our culture today the second coming of Christ. Chapter 12 kind of just oozes that feeling. God's coming, and each of us is going to have to give an accounting for our lives at judgment, so we better be ready. Sadly, so often American evangelicalism has painted Christ's coming in a dour, violent, destructive way at the end of time. Often portrayed through turn or burn theology, that is, get your life right or you're going to go, you know where. You're not ready for judgment. We see the second advent of Jesus as a scary thing. An event were to be ready or else, hold on, could get dicey. But I think when Jesus is telling this parable, he has a glint in his eye. I think he's got a little smile on his face. Because he provides this parable with a very subtle twist that we may not see or hear. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? You see, the Lord of the estate has been celebrating at a wedding. Maybe it was his own wedding. And the servants are back on the estate taking care of everything. So with that, when the Lord of the estate comes home, everything will be ready. They can give him a rousing welcome home party, whether it's during the day, middle of the night, whenever. And then what happens when the Lord of the estate comes home? Did you pick it up? His servants provide him a banquet. Actually, they didn't. That's what we expect. That's what they should be doing. 
but they don't. The servants don't provide the master a banquet. No, it's reversed. The twist is it's reversed. The master of the estate comes home. They welcome him in, and the master of the estate says, listen, y'all go wash up, get ready to sit at the table. I'm going to change my clothes, and I am going to serve you. The master of the estate is going to serve the slaves. This is different. This is a, a, a caricature of God that is really different. Beloved, he uses this parable, Jesus does, about being ready to reinforce what he has just taught. Now, do you hear, my friends, the good news and grace in that story? Jesus is saying that the culmination of time, when we all will face the Lord, our being prepared for his return is the way we love the least of these in our midst the way we serve the homeless, the way we care for the widow, the way we care for the orphan. And he is saying, we're going to greet with joy the banquet that the Lord has provided us. And the Lord's providing us solely because, solely because we prepared. And we prepared in extending grace others. Wow. Jesus is telling us, sit down. I'm going to prepare you a banquet. You see, the tables have turned. The master of the house is entertaining and hosting the slaves, the servants, out of sheer joy that his disciples are doing what they are supposed to be doing with the least of these. And he throws the disciples a party instead. What a plot twist. In essence, my friends, our Lord's Supper is a living diorama of this story and the parables we've heard today. Jesus has sold everything in his life and has given it to the poor. That is you and me, the broken, the untouchables, the detestables, those people. He supported the poor with the very fiber of his life so that the destitute can live and Jesus wants us to have the same attitude. Like Jesus, we are to empty ourselves and throw our energy into loving others in the community. We are to give ourselves so others can live. 
And this is how we show Jesus that we get it, that we understand what he's talking about. That our hearts are invested in the love of neighbor because that love shows where our treasure is, really. Loving neighbor shows Jesus where the treasure is in our life. And the result? Jesus Christ throws a banquet for us. And as our host, He gladly serves us from this table. Why? Because we prepared for His arrival. Because we invested our lives into what matters. That is God and others. It's when we invest our lives in others that we then in turn demonstrate that we are rich toward God. And we've come full circle. So my friends, Jesus tells us a story in two parables. And the reality is he lived that story in two parables out in his own life. Jesus practices what he preached. He gave himself so others might live. And he asks the same of you and me. That's our way of putting our treasure in the right place. This meal, as we come this morning, is celebrated by God but also where we celebrate the Lord. God celebrates us. We are celebrating what the Lord has done. It is a festive, joyous feast. Come. Let's gather at the table and be fed by the Master's hand. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Holy One of God, help us to believe where we can't see and what we don't know. Help us to live storing treasures in our heart through the expression of loving the least of these. And Lord, we come, and we humbly are fed by your hand. Amen.